This is Vigneto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they roam. Drinking wine in the great unknown. I'm Susanna Gold. I'm a wine educator, brand ambassador, writer, and marketer with a keen interest in both new and old world wines. My websites are vignettocommunications.com and susannagold.com. And of course, I have a wine blog, avinata.com. I'm particularly keen on Italy, where I lived for 15 years. While I do consider myself a wine geek, I love to look at wine from all aspects. One of the things I want to do with this podcast is delve into the many facets of the wine world, looking at it from multiple points of view. The podcast will have different series, and for the next 10 weeks, I will be discussing the topic of sustainability with my friend and fellow wine lover, geek, and expert, Sunny Gandara. Hi, everyone. I'm Sunny, and I've worked in multiple facets in the wine industry uh, over the past 15 years or so. Currently, I'm the U.S. brand director for Quechabella, which is an Italian winery located in Tuscany, and uh, I have a special interest in vegan and organic wines. I'm also the global wine director for Matthew Kenny Cuisine, which is a worldwide plant-based hospitality and restaurant group. Um, a trained chef and food and wine blogger on the side where my focus is on pairing wines with plant-based dishes. I want everyone to discover the enormous, exciting and delicious world of plants and the gastronomic pleasures you can get eating a vegan diet with a glass of wine, of course. So this is our eighth episode of the Vignetto podcast, and Sunny and I are here with Deborah Brenner of Women of the Vine and Spirits. I've been really an admirer of hers for a long time, so I'm very excited to have the chance to speak with you. Can you tell us about your organization and how you started it? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, well, Women of the Vine and Spirits actually started um, this November will be um, 15 years, believe it or wow. not. Wow. I can't <laughs> so believe it's I, that long. I have been, well, I've been championing women for 15 years because it all started with me writing my book, Women of the Vine. And actually, um, November will be 15 years that um, that the book came out, and um, and that's hence why the name Women of the Vine is now Women of the Vine and Spirit. So um, it you know it actually started there where um, I was in the tech industry prior, very male, white dominated industry back in the 80s and 90s. I wanted to pursue my passion in wine. And unbeknownst to me, this is back in 2003, 2004, when I started the research, I was so amazed by the women that were behind so many iconic wine brands that I enjoyed, but had no idea that women were actually the owners or winemakers or family, because they weren't really talked about back then, as you can imagine. So I really saw these unrecognized women that I admired so much, and ended up writing the book about them as, as women, as winemakers. And, um, and then I went into the wine industry myself, Fast forward after working as in supplier, wholesale, retail, every different aspect, and 
Um, encountering the same gender stereotypes, adversity, barriers, biases, as every other, you know, male-dominated industry, I decided in 2014 um, to organize the very first conference to bring together the largest gathering of women, inviting men to join us, and to start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion when DE&I was not even something people were talking about at that time. So that's really how it began. I kept my J job because I didn't know if this conference would even you know, sell one ticket or people think I was crazy, but um, it quickly snowballed into a year-round organization. So following up on that, did you imagine that it would become such a large organization? And can you tell us a little bit about the different branches of what the organization does? Because I know you have a lot of, I believe, committees and things that you work on. And I believe also you can now give the WCT classes, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. We're super thrilled. So first of all, I never could have imagined. Um, you know, if, if you asked me, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, where I'd be, you know, um, what started out as a conference was really wanting to amplify women's voices because since I wrote the book, um, I guess I was always a storyteller. And as I worked in the industry in all these different capacities, I'd hear more and more women's stories. And so really the conference for me was we need to get these stories heard. We need people to understand some of the, the issues that we're facing and um, never could have imagined that it would be the large and global organization that it is today. Um, also what makes Women in the Vine and Spirits very unique um, compared to other organizations, not only are we global, but we represent um, members across all three tiers, all industry sectors. And that's really critical and makes us unique because from the get-go for my corporate business life, and then all of my areas as supplier, wholesaler, you know, was if we're going to systemically change an industry and an industry like alcohol beverage has these different tiers, we need to get all tiers involved because you may have the most, you know, wonderful, inclusive workplace culture, but if you have employees that go into the field, which is what this industry is, and in hospitality and on-premise and off, then they are subjected to those things outside of your own control. So it's very important that we all do this. Um, how we do it, Susanna, is we do it with committees. We have a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. We have a senior executive committee. We have a foundation committee because like you said, we wear many different hats. Uh, Women of the Binding Spirits is a the global membership organization. We have over 7,000, you know, individual members in the network and we've worked with over 300 uh, companies representing their brands, products, and services. But we also have the charitable arm, which is our foundation, the Women of the Vine and Spirits Foundation, which is a 501c3. And um, scholarships are open till June 30th. So still come and apply for scholarships. And we, um, from the year we started in 2017 till now, we've given out 99 scholarships, over $230,000. And um, last year, 45% of our 2020 scholarship recipients were 
from the BIPOC community, which is enforcing our mission of creating a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive industry. Such important work um, you're doing and obviously very much needed, I think, in, in not just in our industry, but I wanted to ask you about that, like what uh, from conversations you've had with your members, like what are some of the biggest challenges you think that women face um, in the wine and spirits industry today? Well, you bring up a really good point, Sunny, because um, I hope that other industries can can look at some of the work that we're doing and maybe, you know, uh, get some inspiration from that. Because again, we, first of all, we can't continue to have the conversation, women talking to women. That's been happening forever. From day one, when I started this, um, it was really, really important to invite the men to join us. And not just, you know, men at all levels, but senior level executive. And we just created a new DEI live chat series called Breaking Barriers, which is senior level male executives that come on and have a frank and open conversation with me. We just did one yesterday with the EVP of Jackson Family Wines, Marcelo Aguero, and he also is in charge of e-commerce. Um, DTC, I mean, and um, it was great. We had a wonderful conversation, but these are the things that we need to have because one, at the end of the day, um, it is still male led as an industry like many industries. So let's talk together. Let's see what we can do and uncover. And, and you'll be amazed to see the the allies they and how much they really want to do it. The biggest barriers is not necessarily knowing where to start and what to do. But what's not, you know, there are things that are universal across all industries, right? So, you know, the unconscious bias, the gender pay gap, the, you know, lack of leadership training, um, the list can go on and on with different things, sexual harassment, workplace harassment. Recently, we partnered with RAIN, which is the largest sexual misconduct um, nonprofit um, offering trainings. And we're going to start offering a series of trainings now in partnership with with the Distilled Spirits um, Council of the United States, um, you know, and, and so I think that, you know, right now, what are we seeing? It's what we're seeing in a lot, but then when you add alcohol into the social settings in our industry, that can exasperate, you know, and, and just, it, it's, it can fuel things that, that um, that can just lead to to behavior or letting down your guard or doing certain things. So our industry is a little bit unique that way is that we do have to accept the fact that in social gatherings, being in an alcohol beverage, that it's part of what we do for a living. I like what you said about, you know, inviting men into the conversation and not just talking within, you know, between us as women and um um, I think because it's called inclusion, right? I mean, we're trying to, <laughs> and that also should include men. So I think that's really important and also will make them feel more at ease and more welcome to the conversation. So I really appreciate that. And you sort of touched upon it, but what are some of the most effective things you think that companies can do to, to ensure more inclusion? I know it's a very complicated topic, but um, what have you seen or, or what ideas do you have around that? Well, you know, like, like yesterday's talk is that, you know, um, what I love what Marcelo says in the company is that um, 
this is a, a journey and it's a journey that will never end. It's a journey that will continue forever. Um, the first thing that we have to do and what women in the vine and spirits did early on, like I said, before, you know, a lot of the movements that have happened today, you got to be willing to have some uncomfortable conversations. That's the, where it first starts, right? Is um, being able to accept what you know and what you don't know. Um, understanding that what makes us up as humans is, you know, I talk a lot about the diversity iceberg. So what you see is just the tip of the iceberg. So for people that don't know me, the first thing they see me is my skin color, my hair color, how I look, my, you know, my, my body type, my size, my height. But what really exists for people is below that waterline. And that's where it's their values, how they were brought up, what, you know, religion, values, race, education, culture, where, you know, you grew up everything that forms us in every experience. And so we really need to start one, having the conversations and being able to recognize that you have to get below the waterline if you're going to have diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, and the only way that you're really going to get people to show that side of them is to create a workplace culture that is inclusive and inviting and safe. Mm -hmm. So it has to start at the top. Mm. Because the culture has to start at the top that we welcome you to, to open, to share, to bring all of you to work. You know, that's LGBTQ, that's, you know, disabilities. It's also to the point, um, Sunny, which a lot of people have not done. And we just did a, a, um, a live chat. And I will tell you that this is a commitment by Women of the Mind and Spirits now is that neurodiversity will become part of our DEI journey from now on, because there's not enough people talking about neurodivergence. So that is people with ADHD, OCD, anxiety, um, dyslexia. There are so many things that they say statistically that one in six of your employees has some sort of neurodivergent that you don't know about. And, you know, and it's a social stigma mm. that you don't, we won't share. So, um, you know, this is a whole new way of embracing into, you know, the fact that we cognitively process information differently. It has nothing to do with IQ, has to do with cognitive thinking. So this is, this is, um, you know, for me, this is a moral thing because I just truly believe it's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, businesses are starting to wake up because they realize it's a business imperative, not just a good thing to do. Because our customers are diverse and our customers are going to be majority of being, um, you know, minorities and the culture has shifted. And if you do not have diversity in your company and in leadership, you are not going to be able to um, compete mm -hmm. um, against your competition because they are going to, you know, and, and let's face it, in today's world, authenticity of the brands, that 56% of people say today that the values of the brands influence their purchasing behavior. And right. that's Price Waterhouse saying, not me. Too. You know, relatability too is like a, not everyone is, or, you know, 
quote unquote, one, one way or another. So if you have a diverse workforce, it'll also be able to attract more diverse customers, I would assume. So it all, uh, that's really interesting though, that, that you're doing and I think that's super important. So thank you for sharing that bit about. Absolutely. I mean, it's been an eye opener for me and, and keep an eye out for women in the vine and Sears, um, events, because not only are we doing the rain training, which is sexual harassment, we also are opening it up to anybody. You do not need to be a member. Um, Discus, um, with their generous partnership with us, allowing us to do that because um, our hospitality workers and stuff um, will really need this kind of training. And when we start getting into neurodivergent is really understanding that, um, you know, you there may be situations where people just process differently. And if, again, if we're going to tap into the superpowers and talents of our teams, then we have to create that same safe, inviting, inclusive space for them to just say, listen, you know, I need a little more time maybe with this PowerPoint. When you do it live, I can't capture. Could I view it in advance, you know, or things that, that if they were uh, comfortable to speak up, um, how much more effective we would at all be. And the fact is, this is a huge part of our population. So again, you know, um, it's funny, we just did another live chat with our Pride Alliance. So we have different groups, Susanna, you asked about how we do it. We have a Pride Alliance group, we have a people of color with um, AAPI group, buyers, women owned, entrepreneurs, winemakers, distillers, I mean, because, Sunny, that's the intersectionality. Right. right. We're, we're so multi-layered that you can't just say I'm a white woman with brown hair. I mean, it's like so uh, these groups are designed to bring all that intersectionality into what, you know, what we are and, and how we do it. And um, so we just had um, the owner of Backbar USA, who ha who also is um, um, one of the heads of the gay chamber of commerce that LGBTQ plus. And he did a chat on how to sell your products to the LGBTQ plus community. Wow, it was amazing. Cause he's like, don't show up the month of June with everything rainbow colored. Cause <laughs> I have a super high end gay wine bar and I don't have one rainbow in it. <laughs> because my wine bar is so like, you know, gorgeous and that, and you know, like he, it just was so great. Have, and I learned, I learned stuff every day. So this is, this is the power of community, right? I don't have the answers. I don't have this, you know, the, all the experience, but collectively over 7,000 of us going strong right now and it's growing globally every day. Mm. Um, this is how, this is how we, we change an industry and can change the world. Well, you're doing incredible work. I wanted to ask you, since you speak to so many people and this podcast is focused on sustainability, have you noticed more attention to sustainability, organics, biodynamics, sort of in the layers of conversations you've had with people? Uh, absolutely. I mean, think when sustainable just started coming out, people were thinking of just farming practices, just like another layer of organic. 
what a lot of the consumer is now learning is that sustainability is actually supporting your whole community. It's not just how you, you grow your products, right? Because sustainability also supports your local um, community in many different ways and, um, and your climate and, and everything that goes around keeping a community intact and keeping that area is, is, is sustainable. What I also think is really important um, on the corporate side that is gonna help drive consumer awareness is, and, and a lot of people may not be well-versed in um, not just DEI metrics, but now ESG. And a lot of people haven't seen that yet, but in very large corporations, ESG is now going to be something that they have to really show, which is environmental, social, and governance. And that's a beautiful thing for sustainable uh, companies and products and brands, because there's going to be more. Um, this ESG metric includes diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's that social justice part that we fit in. But now, investors, stakeholders, shareholders, and consumers are going to start looking at that ESG component. So um, that's a real positive thing. <laughs> um, and it's just getting out there to a lot of people. If you're not, you know, if you haven't heard the term, um, it's happening at the high, high level of major corporations, but it's going to trickle all the way down. Do you, the people you speak with, do they talk about the UN sustainability development goals as the metric to which they're measuring themselves against? In Europe, people talk about the goals a lot. That's kind of the metric that they measure their uh, ESG programs against. I've heard it less in the United States than in Europe because the European Union has declared that that's the way people are supposed to measure themselves. Have you been involved in conversations like that too? The conversations I've been in right now in America is... Um, trying to find the right measurement tools. The problem that we have in the alcohol beverage industry, um, and I know this from working with the DEI side, is that the McKinsey you know, reports and um, the Catalyst and diversity best practices and even Bloomberg's gender equality index and things, those are benchmarked for you know, 2 billion cap you know, companies, you have to be traded on the Bloomberg terminal to do it. So it's it's something I've been working on for actually several years, Susanna, and ESG has to play into that. And I'm still looking for that because what's happening in our industry is there's a lot of small companies and a lot of medium-sized companies, and they don't get to participate in these metrics because they only look at these big, huge... And that takes out a majority of alcohol beverage. So I continue to look at that. So that so I don't know a specific standard like the European Union, uh, but I do know in my conversations is that we need some better measurement tools for our industry specific. And also, again, talking about the three tier, right? You can't just put alcohol beverage in one bucket because you have something like 20,000 plus employees at Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits, which is a wholesaler. But then you have Jackson Family Wines, which is huge, but there's 1,600 employees versus 20,000 plus because it's supplier versus wholesaler. 
And then you talk about the retailer, which could be, you know, national Walmart. So we're not getting the right measurement data because of that. So, you know, anybody out there listening, uh, have any information, you know, come to, to me at womenofthevine.com. But this is something I've been working on for quite some time, because like Michael Bloomberg says, you can't manage what you can't measure. Absolutely. Absolutely true. I have kind of a follow-up question on this topic because you said it so beautifully before about how you see sustainability. And Sunny and I go back and forth about this word because she doesn't like the word, but I see it as a word that encompasses social responsibility towards your community. And it sounds like that's the way, how you see it too. Is that is that correct, Deborah? Absolutely, because you know, even just talking about farming, you know, let's let's be real. You know, wine starts in the farm, right? So, With um, hard work. So who's doing the farming work, right? Let's talk about our communities and what does that look like, you know? And how expensive is it to live in certain communities where we need very important labor, um, but um, but the community isn't going to be sustainable for that if we don't find sustainable ways of having housing requirements and school requirements and language barriers and culture differences and so yes i feel for me that that sustainable practices is is good for the planet but also good for the people absolutely yeah and i think that that you know as it, you know it's it it Recently, I had done some work back in the past in my wine days and my supplier days with Farm Aid. So um, this is a, a subject I'm very passionate about. And recently I took a drive to my cousins um, who has a, a beach house in the Delaware area. And there was all this beautiful, beautiful farmland. And then up came this, these planned big, big expensive communities. And there's no way that those workers can live in those homes, you know? And so it's just something I'm so like, for me, a, a New Yorker who grew up born in, in, in the city and moved out to the suburbs and commuted, um, I never thought that this would be who I am. And it's the first thought as I'm driving through is that what's going to happen to the farm workers because the housing isn't going to be able to afford them. And then who's going to work the farms and, and we need to feed our families, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, passion of mine. Yeah, and a, and a very complicated topic, but one that at least seems more kind of in the conversation now. I've noticed so many more people are talking about vineyard workers than they had in the past five years. I mean, do you feel the same, Sunny? Do you have that same sensation? Definitely, I see that, um, you know, more so now here than what you were saying compared to Europe, because they've always been, I don't know if they've been better at taking care of their workers or not. I mean, it all varies, right? Everything, we can't generalize, but I do see that topic coming up. And that's why I think your uh, company, Deborah, is so important uh, because uh, like you said, the work is never done and there's always more to be be done. And um, you've, you've shared already so many things you're doing, wonderful initiatives um, that um, you've got going on, but is there anything else you'd like to share with us that you haven't mentioned perhaps, and that you might feel is making a big difference in contributing to an inclusive and uh, equal workforce? Um, I appreciate you, you know, bringing that up. So, you know, for me, um, it's just, I focus on the E of DE&I, which is the equity. 
that's where it all starts, right? So if equality is our goal, equity is the only way we're going to get there. And so when you focus on the E and you really ask yourself, what are we doing? Well, the first thing that we did, you know, because of COVID was recognize that hospitality workers and especially female ones were, were being hit the hardest. Um, and especially if, if you were working moms and, um, and now out of work. The other thing that the audience may be interested in knowing is that uh, my husband um, had a, a lifetime career in the restaurant business, even owning his own restaurant. And um, so I was part-time duty to help him with that for 15 years. And then he was bartending until COVID hit and then was furloughed. So it's also, again, a very personal uh, issue for me. Mm. And so um, most of our hospitality and restaurant workers don't even get health care. But if you're familiar with employee assistance programs, there are assistance programs beyond health care that large companies give, which is for legal health, health, wellness, mental wellness, and uh, financial aid. Um, well, our foundation, thanks to the kickstarting of Tito's um, philanthropic arm of Love Tito's, we started a foundation foundation assistance program and um, and any hospitality worker that does not have an employee assistance program that needs legal, financial, or mental wellness aid, um, it, it is good until the end of January, 24-7, seven days a week, and then you can enroll again and it's free, completely free. Um, so that's part of that. We also started a new Facebook group called Badass Bartender uh, for all our female badass bartenders out there who uh, needed uh, to share and needed a community uh, to get through recovery. Um, we launched that middle of January and we're just over 1400 members strong right now. I love that. Um, and we, you know, encourage them to, to look at our job boards, look at our scholarships. Um, and then, you know, on top of our educational trainings and live chats and our AAPI and BIPOC and group, we also started the C-Suite Insight, um, which is senior female uh, leaders that once a month come on and talk about their journey, because if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so it's very important in alcohol beverage to have role models. And I know I did not have role models in the tech industry. Um, and I mentioned breaking barriers with our senior male leaders uh, earlier. So those, that, it's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> You're one busy lady. Oh my goodness. I'm well, like, all, wow. I mean, wow. You know what they all, like, like when I talk about intersectionality, it doesn't feel that way because they all seem to blend together. You know, um, they just all seem to be part of that. And yeah. then I, I just want to share that um, I coined a term that we use internally. So we talk a lot about DEI, but I coined a term that I like to call BDNI. So diversity, equity, inclusion as a business um, imperative is going to lead to BDNI, which is business development and innovation. And it's been proven study after study that when you have that diverse talent pool, it's leads to creativity and innovation and a greater bottom line. So at the end of the day, even if you're a small company or, in, you know, a sole proprietor, the BD&I benefits of women in the vine and spirits are, are huge because everybody is contributing in, in a community. So right. that's, that's something that, um, you know, we have companies of all different sizes for that reason. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, or again, where we can find you and also how one can join your company and become a member and what kind of memberships do you offer? Exactly. I was asked the same question. 
Thank you. You can find us at womenofthevine.com. Uh, we also are on Instagram, Women of the Vine and Spirits. And uh, to join as membership, we have several different la layers of membership. So we offer a student membership uh, because we want the next emerging uh, leaders and we want to attract more diverse talent into the industry. We have a discount for WSCT and, um, and um, uh, other, other educations with uh, Master of Wine and individual membership, monthly or annual payment. And then we have various levels of corporate membership. And corporate membership is designed for anybody who wants to promote their product, brand, or service. There's benefits than being an individual. And the other thing I forgot to mention um, is that we just became a Wine and Spirit Education Trust, the WSCT approved program provider for level one and two in Wine and Spirits for their online course. Um, and you can go to our event calendar. What, what's special about taking your WSCT through Women in the Vine and Spirits is we offer some complimentary membership because we wanna hold your hand and we wanna support you in your journey. It's not enough to just take a course and then you're left to your own. You get all the resources and the networking and the membership directory and the job board and the education, and you get some special discounts on things for uh, wine and Coravin and <laughs> lots of other little perks. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that's one of the perks, I think, of being a member. I mean, I really enjoy your network and everyone is so supportive and so helpful. I mean, I've gotten so much help through being a member. So um, I want to highly recommend everyone join. It's it's a great company, great organization. I know I sign up for everything. I don't get to go to everything that I've signed up for. I'm a member too, but it just, there's so many things I want to listen to, but you know, I do have to work as well. So it's kind of hard to sometimes manage all the things I want to pay attention to that you're hosting. But my last question to you is, are you doing the conference this year? Is it virtual? Is it usually in March or February? I don't actually remember when during the year you do your big conference. So the big conference, our global um, symposium is always held in March. March. Uh, our 2020 got canceled due to COVID and we did a virtual global connect on March 8th, this uh, past March for, uh, and it also happened to land on International Women's Day, which was great. Uh, we are going to continue with a global connect to be virtual because what we found was we had more attendees than ever because Absolutely. we didn't have the travel barriers. And because we are a global organization, it was, it was remarkable. Plus technology has evolved so much to allow us. And it, it, I will tell you, thanks to our corporate member sponsors, we were able to offer it to um, corporate members and their employees uh, for free. So that's a lot of benefit. Um, for individual members, we did our Raise Your Glass for Equality, and that was open to anybody to come and join us. And then I will say that we, we are looking to get back out um, and meeting in person in more regional type of events. We wanna walk before we run because you know there's still so many uncertainties with COVID. Um, but I think right now to get out into regions and uh, ga smaller gatherings versus one really, really large one, 
um, I think is also the comfort level of a lot of our senior corporate leaders are saying, this is where we feel it's, it's more comfortable for now and let's still take a wait and see. But yeah, and we're, we're committed and, you know, but I have to say the silver lining has been the technology letting us gather and meet and unite remotely in ways I don't think we ever imagined we truly could. Absolutely. It's been kind of an acceleration of 10 years within, you know, 15 months, just everything. And that is, I, I believe, the silver lining to this crazy I mean, it is, Susan. I would have never had all of this one-on-one -on -one time with people. So I, I miss seeing you in person and that, but still the one-on-one -on -one that I've been getting with this would be impossible. I mean, it just, I couldn't be on a plane and travel as much. So I feel really blessed because I think it has united us even stronger than, than ever before. And, and even with the Global Symposium, we were maxed out at 750 people. Wow, and, that's a big conference. <laughs> and this year we had over 2,200 registrants globally for our, our Connect. So a um, big difference in how many people can participate now that we can use a, a, a virtual platform. Mm. Well, that's awesome. I did participate, actually. I remembered that it was on March 8th. And I remember I remember the symposium. I think I joined on that day. I was like, oh, I saw what you were doing. And I, I signed up that day. So I want to thank you so much for devoting all this time to Sunny and I. It's been so great to talk to you. So much food for thought. Do you have any last thoughts or comments, Sunny? Before we let Deborah get back to life. No, I just want to thank you, Deborah, for your time also. And um, you are a gift to the world and to women and to everyone. And um, thanks for all the work you do. I know it's a lot and uh, we certainly appreciate it. So thanks again. Thank you. And please send us a link to the podcast. We'd love to share it with our members and to promote what you are doing as well. Well, thank, thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll do next week. Join us next week as we speak with David Glancy of the San Francisco Wine School. For this podcast and all of our podcasts, they drop on Fridays on Podbean or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This is Vignetto, a podcast. From the sun and soil they grow. From the land and sea they roam.